Hi there and welcome. I'm Karen Thomas and this is your podcast of naturallyhealingautism.com and for those of you who are new to joining us, this is basically a podcast that's based on uh, helping parents of children with autism and special needs to find the natural resources that you need to help support both the health and behavioral issues that you uh, find challenging or need to work with to improve on for your child. And I interview experts all the time, and we have another uh, expert with us today. And our, our uh, subject today is Parenting Without Stress, How to Raise Responsible Kids While Keeping a Life of Your Own. And um, just so you know too, I will link to uh, everything we talk about, just in case you don't have a pen and paper handy, everything that we talk about that, that I can link to, I will put underneath the video on the page at naturallyhealingautism.com on the page that the podcast has released on. So you can scroll down to that and find all of the links that we discuss. So you don't have to worry if you're in your car or out jogging or at the gym and you're listening to this, that you'll be able to go back and find all of those links again. Today, our special guest is Dr. Marvin Marshall. And Dr. Marshall has, is an international speaker and he's spoken in over 25 countries. He is an educator and author of numerous articles published in international journals. And he is one of America's leading experts on reducing stress that is so prevalent in homes and schools and work relationships. And his many award-winning books include Parenting Without Stress, Discipline Without Stress, and Live Without Stress. So I'd like to welcome you, Dr. Marshall, to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Karen. Thank you. And I'd like to ask you, too, to elaborate a little bit on your background, because I know that you have, I believe it's over 40 years of, of, uh, edu of history in the educational profession. And so can maybe give our audience a little bit more background on you so they kind of get a, a gist of your experience, because it's, it's, it's uh, quite... Uh, vast <laughs> well it's i've also been very fortunate for example i was uh, teaching uh, at the university of Cal state los angeles in the field of education while i worked on a master's in business administration i was very active in student government and i and, and i i knew inevitably that i was going to go into school administration and Long story short, uh, I was in business for a while, met many, many people, and I asked them if they had their choice to live over again, would they gone into the same profession or the same business? And most of them said no. And before I had, I had taught one year, the first year that um, Evelyn and I were married, and I said, you know, I can only drive one car at a time, wear one suit at a time. And if I'm fortunate enough at a relatively young age, you know what I enjoy doing, I'd be a fool not to take advantage of it. So I returned to education. I've taught at all grade levels. I've been an elementary principal. I've been a middle school principal, high school assistant principal, supervision and control, high school uh, assistant principal of uh, uh, curriculum and instruction, high school principal. I was at the district office as director of education for seven years. And then I decided, what do I want to do most in my life? As far as the profession, I said, I enjoy classroom teaching more than anything else. I've been extremely fortunate. I went back into the classroom. Now, Karen, I was out of the classroom for 24 years. Had society changed? Had kids changed? There were parents who were afraid of their own kids. Mm -hmm. There was graffiti around. 
responsibility was just not apparent. And I said, there's got to be a way how I can have these kids want to behave responsibly. So I used my counseling experiences, my teaching experiences, and my administrative experiences, and I came up with a program called the called Discipline Without Stress, and it's now used around the world. It basically, it's different than almost any other program because most programs, both for adults and teachers, aim at obedience. Obedience simply does not create desire. May I give you a quick example? No, oh, absolutely. Please do. You walk into almost any classroom in this country, and the first thing you'll see are rules that are posted. Now, what happens if a kid breaks a rule? Well, the natural approach is this mental thinking that, well, I've got to enforce it, because if I don't enforce the rule, then other kids are going to break the rule also, which, of course, does not happen, but that's the mental mindset I'm talking about. Without even realizing, the teacher has gone into an adversarial position of enforcing rules. The teacher has moved away from a facilitator of learning to a policeman enforcing rules. And very That's, forcibly often, that, that like as you're going to educate us right now or in this podcast about how that can be done in a very positive way rather mm -hmm. than in a negative way. Right. And the trick is if you analyze of a teacher or even a parent analyzes one's rules, you will find that they are either procedures in which they should be taught or their expectations. So my expectations are in a program called the uh, Hierarchy of Social Development, which we can get into. <clears throat> so I took a look at all my rules and I realized they're primarily procedures and expectations. Now here's the mindset. What happens if a youngster who has been taught a procedure doesn't follow it? The mindset is to reteach it, to empower the youngster, in contrast to an adversarial position of, I've got to enforce the rules, as the policeman does. And the vast majority of teachers, unfortunately, do not realize that their profession is in relationships and in motivation. Unfortunately, teachers today still, I think it's the only profession that universities do not teach a prospective teacher how to walk into the classroom the very first day and have enough self-confidence to have young people respect them and like them and want them to learn. They are not taught how to motivate kids. Instead, they're taught how to enforce rules. Right. So that's just one out of 12 and a number of counterproductive approaches that schools are using, and parents also, and they don't even realize it. So if you'd like, I can go through a, uh, a model that teachers and, and, and parents can use to have kids want to do what parents want them to do. Absolutely. Okay. And I know there are probably other parents listening. Uh, my son, once upon a time, ha was diagnosed with autism. He is today recovered, but mm -hmm. back in the day, he, one of his strong, one of the strong pieces of his diagnosis was oppositional defiance disorder. Try and be a parent to that one. And so then he goes to school and they're dealing with it at school. So I know that there are other parents listening who are dealing with that same thing, or they just have a defiant child and the defiance 
if it's not a diagnosable issue from toxic load, et cetera, then they're also, it can be created from so much force being put on kids, I think these days of to conform. I even know that like applied behavioral analysis therapy is, isn't about letting them express who they are and, and helping them to, um, to come to conclusions on their own or be who they are, but more about this is the way you're supposed to do it. And the only way that I want you to do it. So that's how you're going to do it. And that's just, that's just not right. I mean, we don't want human beings to be treated like that. I mean, we're not robots and we have creative expression that should be allowed. Well, let me mention two things about that. <clears throat> uh, we'll be talking about it more, but I don't want to forget the idea about the passive aggressive kid. Mm -hmm. The thing to do is to give the kid choices, three choices, not two, but three. If you give the kid three choices, he has lost all or she has lost all power of being defiant. That's the key. And for example, in, in a home, if the youngster has responsibilities and doesn't follow them, instead of taking things away or punishing the kid, the parent would be much better off of giving the kid choices. So have the kid choose perhaps three, at least three, maybe five, give them five options, and have them choose three or two or one. The key behind this is people do not argue with their own decisions. They have ownership in it. When, you're, when you impose something, the kid has got no ownership and falls into a victimhood mentality. So the key to, to always is give choices, which is one of the three practices that I suggest. So let me go into uh, screen sharing mode and bring up a, uh, a program that I think you'll enjoy. I'm going to be going to my website. The and website would you give the, uh, yeah, your website is? is withoutstress.com. Withoutstress.com. And there are a number of things that are up here that we can come back later. So, for example, I have a charity that any school in the country can get my education book and materials at no charge. That's Let amazing. Did everybody hear that? <laughs> Any school in the country can get his materials for free as a charitable donation, free of charge. And, right. uh, and I believe Marv's going to show you now how that you can get that for your uh, schools. Okay, well, let me go to there right now. Oh, did I jump ahead? Did you have something else? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's no, no, that's just fine. Okay. So if this is, again, the website is withoutstress.com. And aside from uh, I have a uh, free uh, YouTube channel and reducing stress, which so many of us are involved in. But let's go to the charity. It's distantwithoutstress.org that any school is mentioned to get my materials at no charge. So uh, we don't have to talk about me. We don't need the testimonials. Uh, there are two required documents. The first one is the, is the teaching, uh, this one without stress teaching model. I have a variation of this, which I'll go over with, with parents. And then there's an article, a free article uh, called, um, it's a Phi Delta Cap, which is the most prestigious article in the field of education, March 2004. And basically what, uh, what it is, it's the cover article, and the cover article is encouraging responsible student behavior. 
And in it, you'll see theories by people like Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the psychiatrist, uh, William Glasser, Schools Without Failure, uh, and a number of other, and uh, for, uh, another one, for example, W. Edwards Dominic, who brought quality to the workplace. Almost everyone now has a Japanese product. Why Japanese product? Because of quality. Well, W. Edwards Deming was the man who brought quality to the workplace. All these are explained in this article. So let me go back. Uh, so the, the website again is to get there. It's just withoutstress.com and then go to the charity. People, th this article is free to download and you'll find it extremely interesting. Basically, it shows you how to encourage people to do what you would like them to do because they want to do it. If I had to list one thing that is unique to my approach, it is I show teachers and parents, leaders, how to use authority without coercion. The vast majority of people in leadership positions do not know how to have people do what they would like them to do because the people want to do it instead, which is what I do, because I don't use coercion at all. I don't use threats. I don't impose punishments. I have people do what I would like them to do because they want to do it. So that's my basic philosophy of how I, how I work with people in all different walks of life. And so, can you give some of those tangible pieces that parents could have as takeaways to help exactly. them know what to do, how to do that? We're going to do that right now. So we're okay. back on withoutstress.com. And if you go to the parenting model, now there are other things up here that you can see. There's, a, for example, an assessment by way of example. <clears throat> uh, my, I, if, if you can imagine a... Uh, a vertical line and a horizontal line. See if you can just imagine this, a vertical and a horizontal line. At the very top, you're, you're thinking about a thinker. At the very bottom, you're gonna be thinking about a relator. You don't have to remember these because I'll ex explain it to you. On the left side is um, a, 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 a thinker, no, I'm sorry, uh, a doer on the right side is a relator. Here's my point what this assessment does. I'm in the upper left-hand corner, my, my wife is in the upper right-hand corner. We're, we're both literary people. Our daughter, however, is in the bottom right-hand corner. And when I got to try, when I got to understand Hillary's, our daughter's style and her behavior style is totally different from mine. Instead of trying to impose things on her, I nurtured her nature. It's like taking an acorn. You can plant it and you can water it and you can feed it. And if, if, if you're fortunate, it'll grow up to be a giant oak. That acorn will never become a redwood tree. It will only become an oak. And so my point is, if parents learn how their, their kids are and encourage them and nurture their nature instead of trying to become as they, their parents are, the relationship significantly increases and you truly gain the joy that parenting has got to offer. So that's the assessment. There are parenting tips, there's video, other things over here. But That can be, I'm sure, really helpful because 
definitely we want staff, faculty, people in the educational system that are working with our kids to know what to do properly, as well as occupational therapists, physical therapists, other people that are working with our children. These tools are really valuable. And then for a parent at home, a lot of times we as parents, we we want to be doing the right thing, but we, we don't always know what that is. And it's confusing. Like, well, should I do this or should I do this? And then you, you know, you, you, you hear different things that are better to do, or most people think, well, you know, they should, they should follow the rules, you know, or, or, or this is how we do it. And so they, they think that they have to it more, it turns into more of a control issue often in a power struggle. You're right, Karen. Let me show you how I'm going to go to the parenting model. Now, rather than looking at the verb, I'm going to go to, there's a PDF, personal uh, file you can download, PDF of the parenting model. Can you see that? Yes. Okay, the first thing we're going to do is that we're going to, and this, by the way, is the very first chapter in, in my book, Live Without Stress. The biggest mistake people make, I mean all people, is they assume what the, that they know what the person is going to do. Now, my wife is a novelist, so she needs to, with, with her, she, she needs to have the people's motivation there. That's critical in, a, in a, a novel. I never assume. I'm only interested in behavior because any assumption is a guesswork. We live with this all the time, and people are guessing all the time because they assume and they really don't know. Any assumption is a guesswork. So what I do, I don't, I, as you can see, I assume nothing because they're all guesses. I show practice and reinforce the behavior that I want rather than telling what you don't want, which brings us to the three universal principles to be effective in anything. Number one. People do not do good when they feel bad, obviously. So this thing is called positivity. I, am, I have now learned how to make lemonade out of anything. I don't care what the story is, I'm able to look at it in, in a positive way. So here are some examples. We say, uh, practice changing negatives into positive. No running becomes we walk uh, in our school. Stop that becomes show me the right way or what should you do. Now, this is how the brain and body operate. If you think in terms of the last dream, not that you remember your dream, but you will acknowledge that you did not dream in words or in sentences or in paragraphs, you dreamt in pictures. The brain remembers pictures. So visualizing is a wonderful way to have people do what you'd like them to do, to vision some kind of uh, behavior or some action. So when you say to a kid, for example, no running, the kid does not remember the no. He visualizes what comes after. It is really quite simple. Always, without exception, talk to people what you want them to do, not what you don't want them to do. It is simple once you get in the habit because the brain does not visualize the don't. It visualizes what comes after. Simple extremely effective choice we've talked about a little bit already 
Do you also, I'm just, do you also have any type of, uh, uh, children with autism are very, very visual. They're visual yes. thinkers. They're very much into imagery. And uh, a lot of parents will even have flashcards and that will show the, the child a picture. Do you have anything like that or reference to any of those two? Along, just because we're on the visual aspect now, I was wondering if you have any good references for those. Okay, I'm going to close this for just a moment. I'm going to go back to my website. Oops, I'm going to go back to, um, this may be quicker to go to. I'm going to go to the discipline system. And I'm scrolling down to where it says, Hierarchy of Social Development Poem. Uh, you can you can download this, okay. But but basically, this is this is part of the discipline system where I teach what's called the levels of social development. A and B are simply not acceptable, and I, I explain this. As a matter of fact, in my newsletter, my free newsletter that will, that's going to be coming out Saturday. Uh, it talks about the history behind this and, and how I developed it. But A and B are not acceptable, period. We cooperate in level C, but in level D is where you take the initiative to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I don't want to spend much time on this now because there's so many other things I want to share, but these mm -hmm. are visuals, uh, and uh, there are other visuals also if you, on the shot. Uh, let me just give you another one going back to teachers uh, on the discipline system. And there are other significant points. Uh, there's just so much here that let me see if I can find other visuals. So here are visuals, for example. Here's a, <coughs> this is a, how, what I do is I, I teach four levels. Now, D is on top because democracy and responsibility are essential. Okay, so C and D and then B and D, Boston and Boeing are unacceptable. If I go back to another one, uh, it looks like this, but there are a whole bunch of visuals that I have, so let me again show you where they are. If you went onto teachers and onto the discipline system, now, I may have the discipline system here. Well, there it is. Okay, so under parents, under withoutstress.com, as you can see, withoutstress.com, you go to parents, click on the discipline system, and there are all kinds of visuals which you can use. Okay, I, I want to go back to the parenting model again. I think visuals are better, so rather than the just verbs, okay, <clears throat> or rather than just uh, words. So the first thing, first thing you remember, never assume. So many teachers and parents do this. Give you a quick story of a father walking with his daughter in the woods and he, the father told the uh, daughter to uh, stay on the path and she was roaming around, looked at, looked at this flower, looked at that tree, and he really got angry and he says, I told you to stay on the path. And the daughter cries and innocently looks at the father and says, Daddy, what's a path? Mm -hmm. We assume the kid knows what a path was, but we don't. 
so many problems come up because we assume the kid knows something that we've not taught. So teach a procedure. So you at least you then check for understanding to see whether or not the kid knows what you're talking about. All right, talk to the kids in a positive way. Always give them a choice, as I mentioned earlier. If they've got some responsibilities and they don't do it, instead of taking it away, give them a choice. Choice empowers. Right. The, the third... I know there's a, a, a simple example of like, instead of saying, don't use your fingers, say, use a spoon and tell them what they can do. Exactly. It's that simple. Correct. But you got to get in the habit of doing it. Now, reflection, since a person can only control another person temporarily, you can control someone temporarily. And because no one can actually change another person, asking reflective questions is the most effective approach for actuating change in others. Parents can control their kids, but they cannot change them. So my point, for example, in a classroom, if kids, kids are going to walk into the classroom the way they always have, if there's going to be any change that the teacher wants, it will always start with the teacher. If parents want their kids to change, it will always start with what the parent will do differently to have the person change. And the easiest way to do that is a skill that anybody can learn, and it's about asking questions. Can I give you a quick, let me give you two quick examples how this works. Yes, please. It's so simple. You walk into any store, and people say, how are you today? You've had that experience. All right? Second situation, you're in a conversation with someone, and all of it, you're talking, and all of a sudden the person stops and asks you a question. Are you going to continue on a monologue, or do you stop and answer the person's question? Well, you answer the person's question, and that's my point. When you walk into a store and somebody asks you a question, if it's in a store or in a conversation, there's a natural tendency to answer. And here's the point. The person who asks the question controls the conversation. The person who does the asking is controlling the conversation. So what parents should do when kids continually ask them is to ask the youngster a question. Now in behavior, it could be, what would a responsible person do in this situation? On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate? How would, how would you rate your responsibility. If you couldn't fail, what would you do? These are questions which empower. Now let me show you how this operates. It's about the brain-body connection. As an elementary school principal one day, the kindergarten teacher called the officer. He had a youngster who she was not able to stop crying. I reached into my bag of checks, pulled out a stethoscope a physician friend gave me, walked into the kindergarten room went up to the kid put the ends of the teller of uh, put the end of course I put the one end on my ears the other end I put it on the kid's chest in three different places and I proclaimed him healthy he immediately stopped crying now what did I do I just redirected his attention and this is how the body and brain operate first comes the the cognitive, what we see, what we hear, what we think, 
immediately followed by an emotion. So the only way you can stop an emotion, and you should never try to stop an emotion because you can't. You should never say to a kid, well, you shouldn't feel that way. You mm -hmm. cannot stop an emotion. But what you can do is redirect the person's thinking. It's all I did with this kindergarten kid is I redirected his thinking because now he's focusing on his, uh, on his chest and what I was doing. The only way to stop an emotion, again, coming back to reflection, is asking the person a question. Here's a simple question any parent and teacher can ask. Are you angry at me or are you just frustrated? Or are you angry at me or the situation? And what we're doing is we're causing the kid, basically priming the kid to stop and reflect. The emotion, therefore, is reduced and by reflection the kid will almost so often say, well, I guess I'm just frustrated and I'm taking it out on you. Parents should never take what a kid says personally about what the kid says about the parent. Right. Ask a question to have the kid reflect. Because the only way you can change something, change some of the skill, is to ask a question to have the kid change himself. These are three principles that if any parent uses, they will truly gain the joy of parenting because they will not enter into power struggles with their kids. There is a thing called counterwell. You see it in the twos, terrible twos, where the infant is trying to cut the umbilical cord and that the parent is continuing telling him what to do. Let me go on a tangent for a second. I'll ask you in a seminar to answer or to finish this sentence. If I've asked you once, I've asked you and I say a hundred thousand times. You see, if telling worked, you would not have to repeat yourself and people would do exactly what you tell them to do. But telling has an inference and that inference is what you are doing is not good enough and you need to change. No one likes to hear that message. We love to tell people what to do, but we hate to be told ourselves. Nobody does, not if you're two years old or if you're 10 years old or 12 years old, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, Teenager who was revolting or acting out. It's because of control. They do not want to be controlled. So as a parent, as a teacher, I'll share, of course, but I'll ask myself is what I'm young, telling my youngster to what to do. Is he going to perceive it as I'm trying to control him or not? Typical example, the father is talking to his teenage son. The kid is going to do something that uh, the father knows it's not going to be in the kid's best interest, so he starts lecturing. Now, from the parent's viewpoint, what the father is saying is very good for the kid, but what's the kid thinking? You can see the glaze come over his eyes because the kid is thinking, my father's trying to, to control me again. So you talk in terms of sharing information and asking questions to get the person to reflect. That's the only way you can have a person change. You want me to go on? Sure, if you have uh, more. I mean, this whole piece, too, uh, uh, you know, we addressed bullying a little bit, responsibility, and then motivating. I guess you're really covering that now. Um, there's the whole issue of, of perfectionism and then stress reduction, um, especially kids with special needs are under a lot of stress at all times, a lot at a lot of the time, because they have so much sensory overload going on. And, and um, 
And there, I will link to the other podcast that I just released that is great for tools to deal with sensory overload and then the, the uh, advocacy at schools so you could share this. Um, but I, I think that those are, are important things to address because of the, the, the stress overload and then, you know, everyone's need for perfectionism or conformity. Let's talk about the latter, perfectionism. Okay. <clears throat> Teachers and parents should remember the following. Write it down, <clears throat> engrave it in your uh, cognitive part of your brain. You cannot learn and be perfect at the same time. You because you fear being wrong, right? You cannot learn. So what happens is we've got especially a lot of kids with ADHD and autism who feel that they've got to be perfect. Perfection is a burden no human should ever bear. You work towards superior work, excellent work, outstanding work, but never perfectionism. Because if you do, you'll always be a victim. Because we cannot be perfect. And so one of the things that young people should think about is being kind to yourself. Which, of course, is one of the things that I do with my wife. If I want people to, to feel good, I've got to not only have them feel good about themselves, but to feel good about other people. More specifically, kindness is one of the things that everyone should think about themselves. Am I being kind to myself? It's a key question to ask yourself. Because if you're not kind to yourself, chances are you're not going to be kind to other people. Much the same way that if you're a negative person to yourself, chances are you're going to be a negative person to other people. People do good when they feel good. So the whole idea of successful parenting and teaching is to empower young people so that they know that they can do something that they're willing to try, so that they will persist so that they will not give up because the only time you fail is when you don't give up. Failure is a learning process and that should be the mindset of young people. You Absolutely. And learn at the same time. You can't, what was it that the, the saying that you cannot, what? You cannot, you cannot learn and be perfect at the same time. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I'm sure uh, many parents can relate to being told these things themselves as children from their parents or from teachers at school. And we tend to carry that negativity along with us. Some people are, are afraid to take a risk or a new step or make a change in their life because of that fear of failure. And it's not a failure at all. Life is an adventure. We should be out doing new things and trying new things all the time. But we get so programmed to be afraid of, of, you know, doing the wrong thing or being looked down upon if it, you know, does, if somebody else doesn't see it as successful, you know, like you said, falling down is a, a just, a, it's a lesson. It's not a, a failure. There's never a failure in learning. So I, I think that's really, really great advice for people as well. And, Go yeah. on. Go ahead. I, was, I was going to share two things. We talked about perfectionism and we talked about bullying. And then you also mentioned motivation. So let me share with you something that I, I teach teachers about bullying because <clears throat> motivation is so important. I'll take a book or a yardstick or something, uh, I'll hold it level to the ground. So, and I say, now this is like a, a teeter totter. Okay. Now, 
if somebody bullies you, of course you're going you're going to feel bad. That's natural. But let's look at the motivation. Why is that person bullying you or teasing you or being mean to you? Because that person feels that he's got to have some attention or some control. Now, if the person would be level, what would happen is that teeter-totter would be level, and because the person feels a need for attention or whatever the motivation is, that person's got a problem. Now, of course, you're going to feel bad, and I'll give my students or, or kids some vocabulary to work like, see, I'm sorry you're having such a bad day, and walk away. But notice what I've done. If I sh let my students know that someone is bullying, that kid has got a problem. Now, what kid wants to know, wants to feel that his peers thinks he's got a problem? Right. Nobody does. So I'm going back to this old idea of how can you motivate something? How can you take something that may be negative and turn it into the positive? It's all about motivation. And how do you motivate yourself successfully? You talk to yourself in a positive way. You always have the choice. Whatever the situation is, you cannot change. Whatever the stimulation is, whatever the urge is, you never have to be a victim because you can always choose how you're going to respond. And you do that by reflecting. And people who reflect, by the way, think in terms of how grateful they are to be living where they are, who they are, it's the key to happiness, being grateful. All these three principles are critical to having a joyful life. And then, so then there's the motivation, which is really key for parents and educators and knowing how to do it properly. And then um, I'm thinking about, you know, the considerations, uh, and I know this is in your book as well, regarding punishment or what people think that they need to do if things don't go their way and usually that does have to do with more so the person whether it's a parent or the educator trying to get a child or somebody else to conform to what what they want them to do because of how it makes them feel they want to feel in control they want to feel better about what what they're doing what's the outcome not what the child or the other person is experiencing so what is a a, a good uh, okay a good way to address that for maybe even you, both the parent and educator yeah. and the child you're right on and that punishment satisfies the punisher more than it changes behavior mm -hmm. simple example if uh you did something wrong and you were really ashamed of it and your parent or parents were aware that you did something wrong. Would you rather have them give you a punishment and get it over with quickly? Or would it be more effective to live with the idea that you disappointed a parent? I ask, I'll ask that and almost everybody says, I do not want to live with the idea that I live, you know, that I just, I disappointed someone that I love, a parent. Mm -hmm. So, here's what I do. And I suggest this is very simple. When you impose a punishment, the youngster is basically mindset of, <clears throat> I'm a victim. Well, what can you do? It's very simple. Instead of imposing something or threatening something, you look at guided choices, you elicit a procedure. Uh, usually what will happen is, <clears throat> I'll ask the youngster, basically, on my hierarchy of social development, what level he chose. 
I'm going to go on a little tangent for a second because this is really quite critical. If you ask any youngster what he did, he or she, they're going to self-defend. It's human nature to defend yourself. Richard Nixon lost his presidency because of it. Martha Stewart went to prison because of it. People will always self-defend. So in the approach that I use, I have a four levels, and the kid never talks about his behavior. He chooses a level that he has chosen to behave on. Totally eliminated his natural tendency to self-defend. So what I will then do after he has chosen a level which is inappropriate, I'll say, what do you suggest we do about it? Now, usually it'll be a procedure. You know, Jimmy, every time you stick your foot out to trip your friend Ray, you're a victim of your impulses. Unless you can visualize your foot in cement or tied to a bowling ball, unless you come up with a procedure, you're going to go through life being a victim. Is that the way you want to go through life? So I'll usually, depending upon what the situation is, I'll elicit a procedure to help the kid help himself versus imposing a punishment. And on occasion, if something really needs to be done, a consequence or a punishment, instead of imposing it, I'll elicit it. This way, the youngster has ownership. It's very simple. People don't argue with their own decisions. This is on a level which is simply inappropriate. What do you suggest we do about it? And I have in my mind, what else, what else, what else, until the kid comes up with something that he can live with, I can live with, and it's going to help him become more responsible. The trick is to, instead of imposing something, you elicit either a procedure or a consequence. Because the kid's got now ownership in it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good tool to use. Um, and, and I'm sure that your book and website kind of give more examples so people can oh, yes. uh, learn, you know, because you have to think that through before you say it. You have to think, oh. you know, you've been doing this a long time, but, you know, those who are new to it kind of go, okay, so what do I want to say here? <laughs> so it's nice to be able to have some examples ahead of time, like the one you just gave to be able to go, okay, and then, then you start, the more you use it, it's like a muscle, you know, the better you get at it. So, um, you know, practicing it, you know, little baby steps. I'm sure people are also going to be harsh on themselves at first, like, oh, I could have done that better. I could have I done this, or I could have, should have, would have, didn't. But that's the thing is that now you have this knowledge and, and you can now remember, okay, I got to catch myself. What's the right term I want to put this in? What's the right tone? What's the right positivity, the tense, how I can say this properly so that it's the most effective outcome? Because ultimately, you want a positive outcome. You don't just want to accelerate the problem further. You, you really want to, to help to get better. And I know with these children, especially with autism special needs, they have their self-esteem uh, get affected a lot from parents and educators and therapists and being told like something's wrong with them. And so it's, it's really not something's wrong with them. It's just helping them to, um, you know, find, find their, their best way. And so uh, these, these tools and, and the, the, the verbal and the visual tones and things that are so important to use with these kids so that they grow up with good self-esteem and they become an adult that has positive self-esteem because they can go so much further in life when they do. Well, let me, let me mention two things about self-esteem. 
I've never bought into the self-esteem movement. And the reason why I have not is because a lot of young people, when they're growing up, they do not have good self-esteem, and that's natural. How do you get your self-esteem? In my opinion, it's the result of your effort of what you do. Self-esteem, where people are going to give you rewards just for participating, to me, that doesn't build self-esteem. Self-esteem is you're playing basketball. You keep on shooting baskets. You become better at it. You like what you're doing, you feel success, that's how you develop your self-esteem. It's by the actions, the result of the actions that you do. It's from your effort, not by what people do by, by giving you things. So the first question I ask myself going back to this, here's the key. What procedure do I have? And everything I talk about, I'm talking about how to. I assume most people know what to do, they don't know how to do it. So, for example, here's an impulse control car. I show people how they can not become emotionally hijacked. Do we have enough time for me to give you to walk you through this? Sure. I think this is really valuable. So, you know, okay. if people have to come back to it later or whatever, they, they will. I think this is really important information to, to get oh. out there. Okay. It's, it's called impulse management. Uh, the situation is you are on a freeway or you're in a traffic accident on your way to a very important appointment and you're stuck because of the traffic accident. And your self-talk is, this traffic is making me so angry. The f truth of the matter is the, f the traffic does not care. <laughs> you are allowing yourself to become emotionally hijacked. So here's what you do. You first stop and take a deep gasp. Okay, in the moment that you gasp, you can think of various options that you have. That's the yellow. Uh, what will I do next weekend? Uh, 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 what will I, uh, I cook for dinner tonight? Whatever it is, I can turn on the radio. As soon as you do that, you stop yourself from becoming emotionally hijacked, and then you go with your choice. Oh, I think I'll turn on the radio and see what's on because you have redirected that emotion. Now, if you do this on a regular basis, and you've got to take a gasp of breath. It's not just trying, I'll, I'll tell you why. Number one, you cannot gasp with a closed mouth. And number two, the trigeminal nerves, as you know, are at the base of your jawbone. And when you just take a gasp, these nerves, and these are the nerves that sends the emotion throughout the entire body, are automatically released. And if you practice this seven to nine times, you will have made new neural connections, so because you have a procedure. And what you will find is the number of times you get angry will decrease, and the number and the intensity of your anger also decreases because you've made new neural connections. The next time you're angry, you notice that your mouth is clenched tight, closed if you're not talking. Just taking a gasp releases those trigeminal nerves. And you have, if you have a procedure to think about how I, how I can redirect my thinking, you're going to lose that tension because, as I alluded to earlier, the emotion always follows cognition. Yeah, that's a great tool for people to use and to teach because children are able to take a deep breath. Most of them can follow that, you know, regardless of,
right. of their level of issues, you know, if you could kind of teach them. And since it has the physiological response on the trigeminal nerve and then the emotional aspects that are affected by that, um, it's, that's really helpful because you're literally changing the central nervous system's response to the stressor. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the that's thing, fabulous. So the, the thing that I think about is number one, what question can I ask? Okay, to redirect the person's thinking, therefore the emotion, and what procedure do I use? I live, if you stop to think about it, you live, we live our lives on procedures. You get out of bed, you do this, the same thing uh, every morning. So if, for example, I'll, uh, I'll make a conscious effort to be mindful of where I put my car keys now, I literally, instead of doing it habitually and non-consciously, I make a conscious effort to to remember where I put my car keys down when I uh, park in the parking structure. I'll take a look at what section it is and where I am, how to know, because otherwise, if I get in conversation, for example, and I walk out of the parking lot, I've had a time before I did this, it took me 45 minutes to find my car. <laughs> well, anything too, if we, we get so, um we get into multitasking so much, especially in today's lifestyle, that right. if we don't stop to focus on what we're doing, it's easy to not pay attention to it or really remember what we did. We just kind of wander through life, kind of going, oh, did I do that? I can't remember. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else um, that you'd like to add before we wrap up? Uh, Marv, this has been really, really helpful. I, I truly appreciate all that you have to offer. It's my pleasure. The only thing I, I, I would suggest is uh, go to withoutstress.com. There's lots of free stuff on there. Uh, and uh, I have, as you can see, I have a monthly newsletter down there. I have video tips. I have a blog and lots of free information. Yeah. Karen, it's been a pleasure. If I can be of any other assistance, just let me know. Okay. Again, really, really appreciate it. If any questions come in later on, uh, comments that, uh, that I need to reach out to you for, I will definitely do that. So again, um, thank you again, Dr. Marvin Marshall and uh, website is withoutstress.com. So uh, thank you everybody for joining, joining us. Thank you, Dr. Marshall for joining us. And I hope this was really helpful for you. I know it was for me, um, just even going through life as, as an adult. I think this is really helpful because we can also treat other people in our community and in our lives um, in a much more positive way. And that leads to um, more positive results uh, in our own life as well as our children's. So thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time. Okay.